And now, a bit of romance. Two girls on a quest to find which rom-com is the best. P.S. I love rom-coms. I love rom-coms. Hello, and welcome to P.S. I Love Rom-coms, the podcast about kissing in the snow, sad men and the beards they grow, and losing a big toe. I'm Allie. And I'm Mia. P.S. I Love Rom-Coms is a rom-com review podcast where each week, Allie and I grab our crossbows and head out into the forest to hunt down the answer to the question, which rom-com is the best rom-com of all time? Now, we like to start off each week with a little segment called, which rom-com hero slash heroine are you channeling, where we equate the experiences we've had this week with a famous rom-com hero or heroine. And Mia, why don't you start us off this <laughs> week? Uh, who are you channeling? Um, this week, I'm channeling the character Mara from a film that we watched before called Spontaneous. And oh my gosh. I'm, yeah, I'm channeling Mara because, Allie, <laughs> did you hear how you heard yet about what happened at my house last week? Did somebody um, explode? <laughs> no. No. Okay. So this is what happened. Okay. So I flew home to Portland for Christmas on Monday. And then on Tuesday, I found out that one of my roommates did test positive for COVID. And then on <gasps> Wednesday, I found out that a second roommate tested positive for COVID. Oh my so God. I got here and then was immediately in quarantine like outside looking like I, I was spending like most of my time outside looking through a window at my family. Just like hoping, oh. <laughs> like being like so, and it was, and it was the difference is it's like last year with COVID, I feel like I took it all really on the chin. Like I was like, whatever, <laughs> the holidays are canceled, everything's canceled, life is canceled. I'm going home for a year. That's fine with me because it's not about me. I don't care, and that's okay. And I'm just gonna sort of accept this. This happening, and then this year it's like I. <laughs> planned outfits, you know, me and one of my roommates who it turned out later was infected with COVID. Like one of my roommates helped me plan outfits for all the fun things I was going to do while I was home. So oh. it was like, I'm like Mara in the end of the film or towards the end and like the end of the second act where she's like, she really takes the spontaneous combustion on the chin for a while. And then she sort of loses it. And it's just like, you know, I just can't do this anymore. And, <laughs> and that was me. I just had three like real rough days of just like, Oh my God, I, I I didn't I wasn't emotionally prepared for COVID to like truly ruin another holiday and then yeah. I'm so fortunate in that I did not have it I sort of left in time oh, that's to not great. catch it and, and it's absolutely no one's fault because Omicron is so freaking contagious it's so um, contagious and it just kind of all of a sudden it was like oh it's here everyone's right. like oh I'm reading about it over in South Africa and little did we know it was already here it's already it in the already house here. <laughs> just burn it's already in the house the call is coming from inside the house and just burning through everyone who's like triple vaxxed so yeah. I was just also like not prepared yeah I just remember like the week before I was leaving all of a sudden I was like wow I guess I know a handful of people who are vaccinated who all have Omicron right now like kind of sounds like a lot yeah. and then all of a sudden it was like oh it's, yeah it's truly my house. I'm so I'm very grateful I did not have it and um and got to like really enjoy time with my family and so then I am now like then Mara once she sort of like accepts like I accepted my fate and then it was also like okay this is definitely gonna happen but it's not happening right now not to me so I'm just gonna enjoy and be grateful and I'm so sorry for everyone who could not go home um, or spend time with people because yeah. it's so contagious and it's it's such a bummer that that's happening right now but so, um, yeah so that's how I'm channeling on, on Christmas day did you have to like watch your family open presents and you, no. I imagine, this is what I imagine. It's Christmas day. Your family's all inside opening presents and you like 
with the ghost of Christmas past <laughs> next to you stands outside their nose pressed against the window being like, can I come in? <laughs> yeah, that was basically me all week. I have so many photos of like my parents and my dog hanging out inside. But no, thank God. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. So I didn't have to be outside on Christmas, which was great. Um, yeah. But the craziest thing that truly was like we were in a very dark comedy is like, you know how it's like stuff is like happening. Like, like I don't know. Or I guess your, your family's in L.A. But for me, it's like stuff with COVID would happen first in LA and like then it would happen at home so yeah. like ahead of time I would try to be like hey we're out of toilet paper here you're gonna be out of toilet paper or like hey everything's gonna shut down you gotta prepare for that so this time I was at home and the first test I took was an antigen test from a doctor here and then I was like and then we were talking about it and she was like yeah I think if you test negative like by this day you're fine and I was like okay cool and like and she was like, and you're vaccinated. And I was like, yeah, you know, what's weird is I know so many vaccinated people in LA that have this. And she was like, really? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, hmm, I'm supposed to go to a concert tomorrow night. And it was basically like asking me if I thought she should go to the concert. The like, doctor? Oh my yeah. God. She was like, oh, it's no. She's like, that's lots so of dark. People are getting it. Oh, I know. And I was so like, dark. oh my God. Oh my God. Where the doctor turns to you and being like, is this okay? <laughs> right. And it's like, I don't even blame her because it's like, hey, stuff, right? We were prepared for an LA and all of a sudden it just hit. And so it's like, that's how it's going to be elsewhere too. Oh, and it just gosh. happened a little sooner there because we're like, and we're in a national city. But Anyways, it was, I was like, I am in a dark, dark comedy, but I'm very grateful that it was, it worked out okay for me in this instance. Um, so anyways, oh my God, but that was a very rough start to the vacation. Um, but anyways, that's who I'm channeling. Allie, who are you channeling? Oh man. You know, this is a bit of a stretch, but I, um, (laughs) I think I just want an excuse to talk about this movie too. Um, I think I'm channeling, uh, Meredith from the family stone oh my god because there's oh my god every year there's a big debate which movie should we watch as our christmas movie like what's the movie we're gonna watch on christmas night um and because we've watched a lot of christmas movies mia it often turns to me to decide and so the whole you know weight of how our christmas is gonna end lands upon my shoulders and so it's like okay this year what you know movie am i gonna introduce to my family you know what i might be more dermot mulroney's character (laughs) than meredith Uh, i might be ben uh, introducing a new movie to my judgmental family. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> will Diane Keaton like my movie? Um, and the movie that I chose this year <laughs> to have my family watch for Christmas was The Family Stone. And, um, Allie, I'm so yeah, happy it, for you. <laughs> <laughs> no one had ever seen it. Um but it's a Uh-oh. risk, Mia, because as you know, it's a very divisive movie. Oh, look, it's if you've seen it for the first time, you're probably going to hate it. And that's just the truth. <laughs> oh, and they did. <laughs> they, yeah. They hated it so much, but they loved hating it, if that makes sense. Like, oh, a thousand percent. They it's had so much fun. Just literally, Mia, like, as soon as Luke Wilson sees sarah jessica parker walk down the stairs my dad goes oh come on the brothers aren't gonna you know like (laughs) switch girlfriends or whatever and i was like oh my god my dad guessed the plot twist to this movie 
<laughs> 10 minutes in. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. But that, um, that's yeah, so they funny, ended up Ellie. really enjoying hating it. Um, and it still was a good Christmas. Um, and they kind of learned to love the family stone in the way that they hated it. Kind of like, you know, the family learns to love Meredith. So, <laughs> Meredith in the way that they hate her. In the wow. way that they hate her. Um, so, um, no, that's a very good channel, Allie. And I you. think, you know, it's it's one of those things. It's my personal belief that you truly have to watch the movie five times before you like it. <laughs> like, you do. And then after that, like, we watched it as well. And it ended with me and my parents. And I was watching, as you can imagine, outside through a window. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> it was... And we all were, like, crying by then. We love that movie. It's because we've seen it, like, eight times. <laughs> so give, give your family, like, eight more years. And then I think, it'll come around. It'll come around. Um, speaking of... But speaking of long periods of time, or no, <laughs> let's get into our movie discussion, shall we? Um, let's do it. This week, we watched the 2012 rom-com, The Five-Year Engagement. In this film, on their one-year anniversary, sous chef Tom Solomon, played by Jason Siegel, plans to surprise his girlfriend, Violet Barnes, played by Emily Blunt, with an engagement ring. The lovers do end up engaged, but the fact that the proposal does not go exactly as planned proves to be a harbinger for things to come. Each time they try to set a date, various obstacles stand in their way. As more and more time passes, Tom and Violet begin to wonder if perhaps their marriage is not meant to be. The five-year engagement was written by Jason Siegel and Nicholas Stoller and directed by Nicholas Stoller as well. Fun fact, Jason Siegel and Emily Blunt previously played romantic interests in Gulliver's Travels in twenty. 20- <laughs> in 2010 and then they also both appeared in the muppets in 2011 so by the time they got to this movie they had some pretty good chemistry going which i thought was very good in the movie um but mia what are your thoughts on the five-year engagement and how many times have you seen this movie (laughs) so the five-year engagement i look i love the five-year engagement it is of course one of those unfortunate sort of rom-coms of the early aughts that as it ages some stuff does not work and that's bummer um but i in general i love this movie it um i believe i remember when it was coming out in theaters i did not see it in theaters surprisingly because I remember seeing the poster for it and I just remember it not doing well. Like, I mean, I remember nobody mm-hmm. I knew saw it and everyone said it was like very long and they just didn't like it. And then I watched it a few years ago for the first time uh, and I loved it. I was like, you know, I mean, as someone who loves rom-coms, it's like, oh, the rom-com's too long. Not a problem for me, really, <laughs> if it's a good rom-com. Um, so I love it. Similarly, I thought, and again, it's very much in its time. And so I think there are certain things about it that now are just like not as effective or successful. Um, but I remember at the time being like, oh, this is pushing the genre forward. Um, and I think it was also the, like the very like casual like banter in the relationship between the two like it was like a very, it felt like a more realistic portrayal of chemistry between two people. Yeah. That was like a little more even weighted where it's like they're both making jokes. They have their like own specific vocabulary of how they talk to each other that felt very real and specific. And I remember loving that. There was a lot of reviews that were like really mean to it at the time that were sort yeah, of that's, like. Yeah, right? that's what I, I, I mean, I'm just going to pop in here and say that Please like. Pop in. 
I, after I do this, oh my gosh, I don't know if other people do this. I think they do. After I watch a movie, my first reaction is always read a bunch of articles about it. Um, <laughs> course, I love reading a course. bunch of articles. I want to, I always want to know if people think the same things I thought or if I was totally off or, you know, whatnot. And after watching this movie, I read a bunch of articles about it and well, you know, for the podcast as well, but, um, <laughs> but I was surprised at some of these articles, there was one in the Atlantic that was like, this is the worst Judd Apatow produced movie ever. Right? And I was like, what the actual fuck? <laughs> like, right. Like that's crazy. That's crazy. The, I'd say this is one of the best Judd Apatow produced movies. Um, right? I think. Oh, oh yeah. Hallie, wait, cause it was this your first time. This was my first time seeing this movie. Oh my God. Okay. What did you think? I can't wait to hear what it's like to watch it for the first time right now. I loved it. I loved it. And maybe it's because <gasps> now I didn't think it was too long because guess what, Mia? Every movie is two hours long now. I don't know what happened and when two hours became the norm, but so take true. us back to the hour and a half age Please. because that was, those were good times, you know, in the nineties and, and early two thousands when movies were an hour and a half, no matter what. But this movie, I didn't, it didn't feel like two hours because, you know, every other movie now is like verging on three. Um, <laughs> It's but, streaming. I guess streaming fucked everything up. Probably streaming has broken all the rules, and uh, you know, uh, without rules, we're in anarchy. Um, and soon we're gonna have, you know, what four and a half hour movies? No, um, no, we draw the line. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, first time I saw this movie, and I really enjoyed it. I, I, the article I read in the Atlantic said that you know. All of Judd Apatow produced films are usually like coming of age films where the characters grow from immaturity and become mature. And they said that this, you know, the, the main obstacle in this rom-com was the distance between the couples. And they're like, you know, we don't they didn't like that the obstacle was like a quote unquote more physical obstacle versus a more emotional obstacle of like, right. you know, immaturity. Uh but I disagree with that Atlantic article. I thought that I thought that the obstacle of distance, because uh, Emily Blunt's character, uh, Violet, has gets a really great job offer in Michigan, and uh, Jason's character, Tom, gets a really good job offer in San Francisco, and they have to decide what to do. And Tom decides to move to Ann Arbor, Michigan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, literally the <sighs> cold armpit of the Midwest uh, <laughs> with Violet. Actually, Arna, Ann Arbor is actually a really cute college town. I'm sorry. I took that back. I had a lot of skating competitions there. Um, oh, yeah. I know Ann Arbor well. Um, and so Tom agrees to move to Violet to move to Michigan with Violet and um, so that they can stay together. But then uh, they deal with like Tom feeling resentful of having to move and, and Violet feeling guilty um, for making Tom give up his dream. And I think that those both characters are, are dealing with, you know, these kind of uh, emotional obstacles versus I feel like, Judd Apatow's earlier movies like Knocked Up is like really only Seth Rogen has any kind of like problem that he deals with. And it's more about him and his growth. And Katherine Heigl has 
I feel like less emotional, like her, her character has less, you know, complexity to deal with. And I feel like this was more even 50, 50. And so, uh, I think the person who wrote that Atlantic article should maybe rewatch this movie. Um, I went there in a little sassy, um, because I, I really liked this movie and I think that, um, the obstacles were real. Yeah. Can I piggyback on that thought, Allie? Because I'm so glad you feel that way. Because I I agree. I think that that point of view, which is a lot of the reviews had, was like very reductive of the film as a whole. Because I think, yeah, the distance was the most obvious obstacle. But what it did, and I thought this was very clever, is it, I think it did two things. I think it... Um, it like created tension for the central question of the movie, which was sort of like, how do we have a successful marriage? My parents didn't have a successful marriage because this is what happened with them. And then people's like optimism being like, well, that won't happen to us. And it's like, well, then what, like, um, uh, like, how do you work through like that very real problem that can happen to a lot of people in marriage. And I think that was actually very fascinating and a great question to tackle where it's like, what do you do when it comes to resentment around compromises for two people who have individual wants creating a life together? And then I think they did a great job of setting up individual issues for the two characters that again, felt very equally weighted that, that I just think it was like, Oh, these people, this is actually a story about two people who are very optimistic. They did get engaged after only a year, which is pretty short. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like the, the mom, Violet's mom sort of sets up that question in the, the engagement party speeches and is like, have you thought this through? Um, <laughs> and, and I think that the, the things that came up that were very fascinating were that like in a difficult situation, uh, like, like they, they, they set up some of those like general rom-com things where it's like, you think everything has to be perfect. And like, you do this, that felt like maybe a little less true, but I did think it was fascinating that it's like when stuff got difficult early on, like Violet sort of like succumbed to like flattery from someone outside the marriage. And that that was a very like interesting dynamic to explore of like, well, what happens if your marriage isn't going well? And then someone is like laying it on thick. And then Peter, like, obviously like couldn't communicate directly and mm-hmm. couldn't like advocate for himself in that situation. And I, um, and also I think what was kind of beautiful was it turned out that like he actually needed to like do more work when he was by himself to become more creatively fulfilled and reach his own potential. So I think it was also sort of about two people that fall in love and then immediately are like, we've got this, we'll, we'll, we'll get together and then are put through a trial in which yeah. they both have to grow in different ways. Um, where it's like, I thought it was I, I, something that's very compelling to me is the fact that like Violet allowed herself to be convinced of a whole different point of view by someone who was flattering her, like that, that the professor flattered her into like thinking that her psychological experiment was valid. And then that she allowed that then to like transfer onto her husband. Yeah. Um, was fascinating. I was like, oh my God, that's crazy. And that does happen in real life. And I just thought it was actually very a, a complex and fascinating and more realistic look at what can happen in a marriage. And I liked that. Yeah. Yeah. Usually with rom-coms, it ends at the engagement, but this rom-com begins at the engagement and it, it tackles the engagement period, which is like, as more and more of my friends are getting engaged and I'm hearing about it, you know, it is... Uh, there's a lot of pressure put on engagement and the engagement period to be like the most romantic period of like your 
coupledom or whatever. Right. Um, but it seems like it's also incredibly stressful because you are planning a huge expensive party. Oh my God. You have the pressure of people always being like, Oh, you're so in love. You're so in love. And like to demonstrate your love and like, you know, post about it on Instagram and get photos and, you know, Oh um, my God. Post relationship posts on Insta. And, you know, it's a lot. And so like to have a movie show, this period, which, you know, society says should be the most, you know, romantic period of a relationship and show that it's actually really stressful because it's when you start really figuring out how you're going to spend the rest of your life with someone. Um, it's good to have an accurate representation of it. Um, and I'm sure, you know, I, like you said, me and not a lot of people, um, saw this movie and maybe they avoided it because they knew that it was going to be like more the nitty gritty, bits of relationships so they avoided it um yeah (laughs) but um I think it's important to show it and I I liked I liked that it did show their their struggles and um yeah and you know what Ali I wonder if this would do better if it was out on streaming now instead of 2012 in terms of the fact that rom-coms are getting longer and grittier and more without a um, doubt without a doubt it would do better now Right. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I feel like people weren't ready for this. This came out, I think, at a time when general culture was a little more disrespectful to the rom-com. Yes. Um, And it was a long movie about an engagement and kind of probably looked like a bummer. You know, I'm a huge fan of Jason Siegel's contribution to the rom-com genre. Um, And I really like the way he goes about it. You know, like Forgetting Sir Marshall was based on a real relationship of his. Mm -hmm. um, And there was a lot of like improvisation. And this one, I think is so special because him and Emily Blunt and Emily Blunt's husband, whose name is not Jim Halpert. um, John Krasinski. John Krasinski. (laughs) John Krasinski. They were all friends in Jim from the office. Um, They're all friends in real life. And he wrote this role for Emily Blunt. And she got to contribute to what felt more real for her in the role. And this is crazy to me. But one of the things I love about the movie, I love how specific both of their careers are. And having worked in restaurants, I was like, oh, the chef stuff is so real. And it's more real than than I see it, than I've seen it depicted before. And Jason Siegel went to chef school to prepare for this role. Oh my, and right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, and, it's crazy because, yeah, when he yeah. wrote Forgetting Sarah Marshall, he went to Hawaii and like the resort where they like were going to film it. Right? right. Like, yeah, he did. And I think it really I think it really affects the films in interesting ways where it's like like I, the one thing I'm constantly like telling people about chefs and I'm just like, you don't get how like intense like it just so it's like a very weird specific culture that I feel like is never represented correctly and I was like yeah this is what that's like um it's like what it's like to be in the kitchen it's like the the like the way they sort of speak to each other was very on point and then when I read that I was like it makes sense that he went to chef school because he really gets the cultural vibe of it and then it makes sense that was written for Emily Blunt because I just I just felt like a lot of their banter and interaction felt so specific and real in a way that yeah. you don't often get to see in like studio rom-coms oh yeah without a doubt it was yeah i agree mia that both of their both of their careers were very fun um and just like i just this movie too was like the jokes were so good and at <laughs> times like 
there okay can i just can i just quickly just go through a bunch of my favorite jokes because this movie Please. was like packed full of jokes and a lot of them were like kitchen jokes that I think were really really funny and just at yes, times please. shocking um my favorite character uh was uh uh Tom's chef boss what was the female <laughs> boss's name oh my god I have no idea but I love her she I'm was look really so funny she's just this incredible she was hysterical tense tense uptight woman who's just like interrupts his proposal to be like hey like look what do you mean you can't do the brunch shift? That's like a completely, you know, uh, you know, you have to do the brunch shift. Like you can't fuck me like this. And then he's like, <laughs> I'm proposing to my girlfriend right now. And then there's a truly shocking joke bit where she cuts off her finger mid dinner <laughs> service and you see just blood shooting onto like the protective glass between the kitchen and the dining room and she, the way she's just so calm about the fact that she's just chopped off her finger is deeply funny and crazy um and it's how but, chefs are like i'm yeah. amazed at how accurate that is like they're like there's just something about not all chefs not all chefs but like <laughs> Whether it's like an aggression <laughs> to the culture and hashtag like a casual chefs, <laughs> not all chefs, hashtag not all chefs, but like truly watching her, I it was such a funny take on a chef caricature that I have experienced, and I really yeah. appreciated that as well. That was so good, and then I loved all of the like people in um, Ann Arbor. I almost went. Well, I was considering going to the University of Michigan. It's a great mm. school, and I went to go visit <laughs> in the winter. In Ann Arbor in the winter is exactly like that. Oh my god. They're like seeing Jason Siegel scraping frost off of his windshield and then <laughs> falling in the snow um, because he's scraping so hard and then <laughs> jumping onto a pile of snow and then hitting a <laughs> fire hydrant. Um, just very accurate. Very accurate. I would love to know if Jason Siegel went to Ann Arbor for a couple of months to write this probably not because it's very cold there um but uh it's such a cute college town um but it is so soul crushingly cold um yeah oh my god yeah but I love all of his like man friends that he makes like the one that likes to he there's one character who really likes to knit sweaters for everybody so Jason Siegel wears a bunch of really funny, weird, upsetting sweaters um, throughout the movie um, and gets really into hunting because his masculinity gets threatened when um, he has to give up his career. And instead, you know, Violet focuses more on her career. So the kind of traditional gender roles get skewed and he, you know, ends up questioning his own masculinity a lot. Um, and so he deals with that. Uh, he deals with the feeling like he's lost some of his masculinity. He starts hunting a lot and gets really into making his own mead, which feels <laughs> like a 2020 joke. Because um, did yeah. one of the Sprouse brothers get really into making mead? Oh my God, did he seriously? Yeah, there's one with like a whole mead business. Ew, that's so funny. I love I love when when Chris Pratt's like it hurts my teeth and you're just yeah. like No, Ali, I agree. There and it's I can and this is something I just sort of come back to with Jason Stiegel and Nick Stoller, which is like the amount of care they give all the details in the film, which yes yeah. makes it longer. <laughs> is 
is really lovely and I love to see it. Like I loved, I thought the whole attention to detail to his taco stand was <gasps> so incredible. When Nine they're one like, yum. Nine one yum. Like I yes. they stamp them all with the Red Cross symbol and the fact that it's like, that was a really funny bit when they're like, oh, well, what was this used for? This was used for like transporting dead bodies or something. And it's like, what will you be using it for? And it's like food service. Um, <laughs> and it's just clear that there's so much love for their characters and what mm-hmm. happens to them. It's just so thoughtful. And then did you notice the cameo? That's probably a repeat character from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. With the there's a character from Forgetting Sarah Marshall who can like name all these fish. And then that same actor comes to the taco stand and <gasps> is like, I've had like I've had tacos in Hawaii. I have had tacos. And he starts listing oh, all the places. He's my gosh, he was so funny. That like little so like bit side character. Yeah, which I really love. I do like that they're also sort of have a rom com universe. Like they also did um get him to the Greek, and that's sort of like like uh uh what's his name Russell Brandt from Forgetting Sarah Marshall gets a yeah. whole movie about that character, Alabama Snow. So I do love that Jason Ziegel Nick Stoller sort of also have like the Netflix equivalent of like a rom-com universe. Yeah, just they have their own rom-com universe. Yeah. Can we name all the famous people that were in this movie? Because there was literally like oh every God. other person was just uh, incredibly famous. There was like Mindy Kaling was in this movie. Kevin Hart was in this movie. And like these little like side roles. Um, Randall Park, Molly Shannon, Kumail Nanjiani. Yeah, and they had like one-liner roles. Allison <laughs> Brie, Chris Pratt. Tim Heidecker, I think, had a role. Yeah, Tim Heidecker was one of those chefs as well that only had like yeah. one line. Dakota um, Johnson, Chris Parnell. Oh my God, Dakota Johnson. And truly a role, like, that yeah. obviously is perhaps a little reductive of, of young women. But I did think, Dakota, I was like, wow, I've never seen Dakota Johnson do this. This is like, this yeah. is and, fun for and, her. <laughs> she was she was really funny and yeah her character was mostly just being incredibly ageist um but <laughs> she did it so well um mm-hmm. a part of the movie that was obviously like sad but i'm really glad that they like went there was like there's you know obviously a moment in their five-year engagement where um violet and tom break up and <clears throat> violet you know spoilers <laughs> violet stays in michigan and like has a relationship with her um professor and tom goes back to san francisco and like does his chef thing again and um is in a relationship with uh dakota johnson's character who's like a much you know the typical like younger woman character um and i'm really glad that they they went there and like it because that is like what you said earlier, Mir, when both of the characters kind of like grow and um and learn and like I guess like what's sad with Emily Blunt's like character, she learns that like she got favoritism uh, because her professor wanted to sleep with her and so she had to kind of question um like whether or not she wanted to stick with this program that she's made so many sacrifices for and you know, Tom's character or Tom, Jason's character had to like finally like grow up and just start his own business, what he's always wanted to do and like makes that leap. And then finally they come together at the end (laughs) in literally, I mean, 
the way it's the ending is so good. <laughs> um, oh my god, I sobbed this time. I cried. So good. Um, it's it's the movie starts, I have chills. The movie starts with a proposal, and the last scene ends with a proposal, and it mirrors the first proposal in a lot of ways. Where one character, Tom, originally surprises Violet with a proposal in the first scene, and then in the final kind of sequence, Violet surprises Tom with a proposal. Um, and I have chills this whole time, Allie. Chills. It, it she then has him drive to a nearby park and the two characters get out and uh tom's best friend chris pratt is there and violet's sister Susie, played by allison brie is there and they take them up in this it's like a famous park in san francisco i've been there i think everyone's been there but emily blunt uh takes um or violet takes tom up into this park and there are three bands so there are two bands waiting, like a traditional string quartet and like a jazz band. And she goes, pick a band. And then they like, because they've just been struggling to plan their wedding for the past, past five years, because every time something pops up, Tom loses a toe, Emily gets shot with a bow and arrow. It's really graphic and crazy. But finally, she throws this surprise wedding for Tom. And Tom like goes through the park and basically picks out what he wants in, you know, all of the elements of his wedding. He picks out what tux he wants to wear and they get changed in the park. And then he picks out, you know, uh, whether he wants a, you know, a, a priest, a rabbi, or like a justice of the peace. And then they go yeah. and they just get married in the park spontaneously. And it is so crazy romantic. Uh, it is. And it does kind of pay off Violet's thing of needing everything to be perfect. The fact that they're just like, oh, it's never going to be perfect. So we're just actually going to do this now. Yeah. Because now we've learned it's like, it is going to be difficult and we are going to come up against these difficult things. And it's like, the important thing is not the wedding. It's that we like grow and continue to show back up for each other. And it's so beautiful. It's so, and it, I cried. It made me cry. Um, it made me cry. And so, and you know what? I also thought, just to go back to the breakup scene you mentioned, I thought it was a beautiful breakup scene. I thought that was one of the yeah. most realistic portrayals of a breakup, like much closer to the breakups I've had, where you still very much like love each other and respect each other and are just very sad that it's happening. Yeah. Um, and I just thought that that was, that was beautiful. Also, um, yeah, I, I agree that the breakup was really realistic because even after you have those like really lovely, like kind breakups, a couple of months later, there's always that weird call. <gasps> yes. You know what I mean? Yes, exactly. Where one person calls the other person and then you kind of get into a fight on the phone and you're like, okay, so here's like... Yeah, you're trying you know, to joke and then you offend each other. That's so real. It was all so real. Yeah. Um, Jason sends, or, or Tom's character sends Violet's character like a post-breakup uh, like happy birthday email and then that you know like kind gesture turns into like a little bit of a like fight and it's like wow nailed that nailed that 
It's so, it was so real. And I really appreciate that about this team's work. Yeah. Um, and I also just on that note of like things being just real and it all, like all serving a central theme, which I do think most of the reviewers sort of missed in 2012. Um, <laughs> I like is the brunch scene with his parents where. Oh my God. Yes. So oh my God. Where they talk about all the difficult things that they've been through. The mother being hospitalized for emotional issues and just them being like, it's not, what are you doing? Like you love her. It's not perfect. But like, we've been through all this shit and yeah we just don't tell you about it and I just thought that was so beautiful as well and real something that's also like a scene that I really love because we haven't really talked about um Susie and Violet's relationship that's um Mm. oh my god Susie is uh Violet's sister played by Alison Brie Alison Brie's accent was a little weird but it was yeah it's it gets worse over time yeah <laughs> like, the more I watch, there are times worse. where she like dropped it not gonna lie that being said <laughs> i thought her she did a really good job and she was very funny um the this it's set up as like alison is a younger sister and she's very like career minded and she's like i'm never gonna have kids i'm never gonna get married and of course she's the first one to get married and has two kids right away um <laughs> you know that's so life um and she <laughs> Um, is having a conversation with uh, Violet but her kids are present and her kids are like do a cookie monster voice and do an Elmo voice so you see the two sisters having this really deep conversation about like commitment and marriage <sighs> and these like it's kind beautiful. of cartoonish voices um, in an Elmo and cookie monster voice and it's very funny mm-hmm. and Alison Bree's character has this point of view which is like you're never going to know if a marriage works or not you just have to kind of take a bite of a cookie oh my uh, god it's uh, so good and just try and just figure out and I was like wow wow that scene Allie was incredible like it's such an amazing thing to watch these these two really talented actors doing Sesame Street voices while having like a very intense conversation that is like beautiful and poignant I, I loved it so much I really I really liked the people that created that create these movies. I really, really like them. One last thing I just want to kind of talk about before we jump into County Tropes is just another thing this movie did that plus one did that I really liked is it broke this movie up into kind of like chunks (laughs) or like, yeah, it it almost felt like um, they were like these little, they weren't interstitials, but um, at the beginning of the movie, Violet is FaceTiming her mom with her four grandparents and her mom's like, you need to set a date for this wedding right away because you don't want your grandparents to die. Your grandparents <laughs> need to be at this wedding. And Violet's like, mom, how can you say this right in front of all of the grandparents? And she's like, Violet, set a day for your wedding and plan your wedding. And then throughout the movie, um, there's always these like wonderful little lines that like set up these moments, but like uh, Emily Blunt, like Violet's character will be like, you know, God, it's not like any, at least no one died or anything. And then it would cut to like a funeral of one of her grandparents and throughout the movie, all four of her grandparents die <laughs> during this five year engagement. And it's yeah. so dark and it's, it's so funny. And every time her mom gives her a look like, should have gotten married. Should have gotten married. 
And I think one of the grandparents' last words are even, I'm so looking forward to when Violet yeah. gets married or something like that. <laughs> last word was, I'm so looking forward to Violet's wedding. Yeah. Oh, my God. No, it's, that's that's such a great point out, Allie, that it's like that sort of part of the genre where you're breaking up the movie was done in this very dark, realistic, funny way of having the grandparents die and be like a different quarter of each movie. Um, before we, before we go on to trips, can I say a few jokes that I just think need to be removed <laughs> from the yes. film in 2021? Yes. I, upon watching it, I was like, this film is racist towards Asian characters. And I just, yes. it made me uncomfortable. Yeah. There's like Chris Pratt is doing a speech about like all of Jason Siegel's ex-girlfriends. And instead of the Asian women in the sequence don't get to have names, this sort of uh, Violet's dad, second wife is Asian and there was just like a few jokes around that that I think that I think were racist and um don't yeah it should be gone from the film it's a lovely film but there's like there's some stuff from 2012 that you're just like that's gotta go and then um I also didn't like the black peonies bit because obviously yeah you know how I feel I really don't like jokes where men are like we're talking about sex and this idiot women that woman doesn't get it I do like that the the new friend from Michigan fucks it up by just saying the joke out loud. I do think that's sort of good retribution. Yeah. But um, I don't like that. I don't like the point of view of that joke. Um, yeah. Um, but that's, that's sort of it. I think, yeah, I think those are, those are elements of the film I would take out. And I, and I also think that there are a lot, a lot of good things in this film. And I think it pushes the genre forward and that's sort of, you know, and that's uh, how we do we work through the balance of films that are offensive, but, and, and have good elements, you know, but I, I, I do think overall it's a lovely film. I completely agree with all of that, Mia. And I, I just wanted to mention one thing quickly before we hop to the trope yes. counting, which is just uh, the professor that um, Violet kind of like falls in love with or like mm-hmm. he kind of like flirts with her heavy handedly and she kind of like is like, oh, I'm so flattered by him um, <laughs> is I'm going to butcher his name. Oh. Rise. The fans, rise fans. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, do you know who that actor? What other famous rom com that actor is in? Oh my god! Shut the fuck up! Is he Spike? He is Spike from Notting Hill. Up! The minute you asked me, I've never noticed that. But the minute you asked me, it's like I went back in time and I was like, boom, 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 boom. oh my god, it's Spike. <laughs> Oh my god, it's Spike. like the actor who literally went method for the character of Spike and slept in a tent outside the studio where they were filming the movie. Oh my god, I wonder if he did anything method for this, for this movie. Jason, Jason Siegel are both so method. Whoa, wait, good for him. What a range. Spike I know, is I'm such like looking up. Oh, he was in a lot of he's in the Spider Man movies. Oh, which which ones? The which one? Or he the... looks like he was in the Amazing Spider Man and Spider Man No Way Home. Okay, he's he's done some stuff. I was like, who is this actor? Oh my god, I cannot believe that spike. That makes me so happy. Also, so I, I of course do on the DVD of this movie because I like it. <laughs> and um, I think whatever version I watched most recently before this, it had some like 
director's cut stuff that was left from the final theatrical version, there's like a whole side character of one of Violet's ex-boyfriends that keeps like showing up at all the funerals. And it's very funny. Um, oh my God. Uh, yeah. And I just, if you, if you like me have the DVD, which you don't, um, <laughs> go ahead and check out those uh, extended versions, which I, you know, probably will. <laughs> um, well, we like to end our movie discussions by counting up all the familiar rom-com tropes that we started and <clears throat> that we spotted. And I can start us off. Um, we got an establishing city scene. We get a nice little establishing scene of San Francisco. Um, it ends in a wedding. Of course it does. The side characters get together, Chris Pratt and Alison Brie, and they get married, and it's very funny. Um, hot mess best friend. Why? Oh, I think Chris Pratt's the hot mess best friend. Um mm-hmm. Wedding planning stages. I love to see this in a rom-com. I love when they go through all the different, you know, the, the men in Michigan go through like the cake tasting and the mm-hmm. locations and Violet does it in New York or sorry, in San Francisco. I love that. Um, quirky job. Um, yeah. He works at like a sandwich shop and she's a cycle. I don't know. Yeah. It's quirky. Yeah. I think his job's quirky. Anyone's yeah, a like truck. with all the guy and his boss is like I pickle everything I pickle peanut butter I pickle exactly I pickle you know yes yes I agree and then we have drunk wedding speeches um who gave a drunk wedding speech or the engagement speech I said bad wedding speeches because I feel like anytime with a wedding rom-com there's always a bad speech I think it's during their engagement party there's a really oh no during during their their rehearsal dinner um one of tom's friends the guy who owns the sandwich shop does a really bad speech where he's like oh violet you know like tom you're so lucky to be with violet the first time i saw violet i was like wow she looks like a princess and you get to fuck a princess i want to you know a princess that's what it was that's what it was because the engagement party speech is really funny but the rehearsal dinner speeches those were genuinely like oh this is bad yeah um and then uh, we have a fight over the heroine. They fight in the snow over Violet. Um, getting cute in a kitchen. <laughs> I think that's when he's cheating on Violet and they're like, get you know, being like, ooh, food. Um, yeah, going uh, to like an abandoned space to yeah, have a romantic exactly. moment. Totally, which it's like, no, that sort of doesn't really happen. Um, oh, bangs to mark the passage of time. If you want to, you know, tell the time is passing a rom-com, give your heroine bangs. Um, yeah. <laughs> the young, oversexed, dumb woman. You don't love it. The character that um, why Dakota, Johnson. Dakota Johnson plays. Yeah, is like, yeah. I think there's some very funny things about her. And I think there are some very reductive things about her. But that's something we see a lot in the rom-coms. And it's like, if you like sex, you're bad. Um. Uh, there's a let me tell you who you are speech where I believe Violet's mother is like, you always yes. think everything to be perfect, of course. Yes. And then we have a cut to after sex, I think in the childhood room, which leads me to my last trope, which is sex in the childhood room. Um, so that's what I have. Allie, what did you have? Wow, you got like every, almost everything <laughs> that I had. I have, okay, here are three that I have. Maybe four. You can decide. Okay, um, great. I have... Cut off appendage and blood squirting out. Yeah, that counts. I feel like that is specifically rom-com. Um, yeah. Or just like appendage getting cut off. Like I think about, oh my God. And um, this is like an older one. This is like usually <laughs> CDs in like early 2000s. 
but I think about it in something about Mary. He like, yeah, you know, does that thing with the zipper and his oh god, and yes. his junk, and then um, what else? Oh, um, uh, what uh, that Adam Sandler Fifty First Dates? There's uh, yeah. Oh, maybe that's a shark bite. I think maybe an appendage gets cut off. No, but there is a lot of like, there's like the tending your crush's wound situation. And I think there's a heighten of it that happens a lot in rom-coms where it's like, yeah, like these like gag injuries happen. That's it. Exactly. Where it's like, you don't see blood like squirting out of, you know, people's, it's more of the calm in like rom-coms. And like, I think it's usually um, slapsticky stuff. Like slapsticky um, stuff is like in raunchier rom-coms but like that kind of slap sticky injury definitely feels rom-commy like um aldous snow in forgetting sarah marshall also gets like coral i think in his like leg um when they're surfing yeah there's a lot of that i count Um, it i have uh jason siegel is clumsy man who falls down a lot yeah oh he's so quirky he's always falling down on this he's falling on the snow and yeah um falling onto fire hydrants and um stuff like that i have that the professor is good on paper guy he's like i'm intellectual you know i can do taekwondo i'm perfectly you know fit and able and i can you know uh, but i'm also you know very smart um he can do it all (laughs) kind of a thing Um, absolutely that's uh rice ifan who knows if I'm pronouncing his name right? And then uh, this is a bit of a stretch, but I have a clean up your life montage when that's uh, true. When he gets the new truck, when um, Jason Siegel's character buys that uh, ambulance and fixes it up into a uh, trendy taco truck. Oh, you you no, you're absolutely correct, and I just realized that that's montage of the good times as well. When him and Violet are um, working oh, in the yeah. taco truck. And they had a meet cute and a flashback. Um, yes, they had a meet cute. Oh my gosh, at that party. Yeah. It's so cute and specific. It's so it's cute so, and specific. She's, so there's cute. a make your own superhero party. She's Princess Diana and he's Super Bunny. Um, I also think just this is an interesting thought I had during the movie where it's like sometimes in relationships, like some of the quirky things that you love about a partner in the beginning become like, <laughs> like they can become something that you don't love about them at a certain point in time. And I do think it was so interesting that he was wearing the super bunny costume later, but it was very depressing. Yeah. Um, oh, and this movie, you know, this movie is also fairly, uh, this movie is also particularly white and heteronormative, which are tropes we don't like. So I'm not going to count them, but it just, you know, yeah, obviously it is. It, it's very... But of, but of the general tropes, it takes us to 21 tropes, which is pretty tropey for um, sort of like an atypical rom-com for 2012. Yeah. Okay, now I think it's time to rate this rom-com. We here at PSA Live Rom-Coms have an ever-changing list of top five rom-coms. As of now, here are our top five. When Harry Met Sally, The Best Man, 10 Things I Hate About You, Love and Basketball, and Hitch. So now, if we so choose today, we can put the five-year engagement on that list. But we all have to unanimously agree to vote off one of those other top five to replace it with. So what do we think? Does the five-year engagement deserve a spot on the top five? And if so, who should it knock off? Allie, do you have a take? Here's my take. I I really liked this movie. Um, I I think it does a really good job. I mean, I think I think it has a lot of really unique aspects to it um the fact that it is 
you know, uh, about an engagement period for, you know, first off, you don't see a lot of movies about just the engagement period. I like how realistic it is in showing relationships, um, during a difficult, during difficult trials and stuff. Um, and I think that the jokes are really good. That being said, I don't think it should be, I think it's one of, you know, the best movies that Judd Apatow has produced or one of the better ones. And, mm-hmm. um, I think probably the big sick is the best one I've seen. Um, yeah. But this one is definitely up there. Um, And again, I think Jason Siegel's a really great writer. Um, What I will say is I don't think it should be on the top five list because of just kind of what we've talked about earlier. This movie does have racist jokes in it and a Mm -hmm. lot. Um, Yeah. So um, not going to put that on the top five. um, But uh, I think it it has some cool structure stuff and... uh, I would watch another rom-com written by Jason Siegel. Yeah, that's and that's where I line up as well, Allie, is that I agree with everything you said. And I just, in general, I do, aside from like what, uh, aside from the negative elements of this movie, I, I really appreciate what Jason Siegel and Nick Stoller bring to the rom-com genre. And I do appreciate their complex portrayals of women. I think that's sort of, yeah. I think for their time, they were kind of ahead of their time in making these. And I hope they make another rom-com. I would love to yeah. see another rom-com. Um, yeah. So uh, all right. it seems like uh, we're agreed. We're agreed. We did it. Mia, this is, we're kind of been on the same page for oh, a while now. We got to watch uh, a... Knock on um, wood. Knock on wood. We got to watch a divisive rom-com sometime soon. Yeah, um, I'm sure we will. Oh, yes. I mean, maybe even the one we watch next week. Um, <laughs> oh, we'll see. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Um But now it is time for a reality check. In this segment, we test out the tropes and plot devices and rom-coms we've just watched to see if they hold up in the real world. Uh, A plot device we see in a lot of rom-coms is that of spotting a crush from across a busy room. I feel like it's a subtrope of love at first sight, but um, I think it's a subtrope of love at first sight. And you see this in this movie uh, multiple times. We see the way that uh, Violet and Tom meet at this Halloween party and Tom literally spots Violet across the room. She's very well lit um, as Princess Diana (laughs) and he goes over and talks to her. Um, And what I want to know is have we, Mia and Allie, not only ever spotted someone across the room at a crowded party, but did we ever go up and talk to them? oh my god or did we chicken out and just go in in another corner and not talk to them (laughs) oh my god I'm sure I did in college like I'm sure I can I can think of like many times this happened where it's like nothing specific happened but where I was like just at a situation and being like looking around for a crush and then making eye contact and then I honestly think I I don't know though if I've ever gone up and instigated perhaps so I don't know I don't what know, Ali. Have you that? What here? It's because I I agree, Mia. Like that that kind of behavior is definitely more like a collegey vibe, where like yeah. in college it did kind of feel like you could go up to anyone and talk to them, but in the real yeah. world it almost seems crazy. Why does it? But it feels crazy to like spot someone from across the bar and go and talk to them, right? Doesn't that yeah. feel weird? 
Yeah, it feels, I know, I agree. It's like very, yeah. And I think it, when it does happen, I think that's probably why it's in movies as a trope. It's because I do think when it does happen, sometimes it feels very magical. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, I'm making eye contact with this person I find attractive. And it's like, oh my God, now I'm talking to this person I find attractive. Okay, but yes, have, has this ever happened? So Allie, I think it's happened to me, but I don't know. Has this ever happened to you? Yes. And it was <gasps> a New Year's party as well. Oh like the movie. my God. But it was like, I already... It's like a person I already kind of knew, mm-hmm. um, but like we had never met met, but we just like kind of <sighs> seen each other around before. And then okay, I love this. It was literally I was at this party, New Year's Eve party. It was really, really crowded. And then I was thinking in my mind, I was like, I wonder if they're here. And then I like <clears throat> Allie turn around and they are literally standing right there (gasps) and like we like both look at each other and like connect and then they're like hey you want to go outside um it's really crowded in here and I was like oh my god yes I do person I've never met (laughs) um and I was like yeah it is really crowded in here and then like we went outside and like just had the most incredible conversation and <gasps> it was awesome and then we ended up dating for a little bit um, Allie, that's but, amazing that's an amazing yeah. story yeah I was uh so I have had a moment like that and it is truly powerful um oh, oh my god but it also doesn't happen that often so yes, it's very yeah. special uh, well, okay. I think reality checks out in that it's the reason we highlight it because when it when you do have a moment like that, it is quite special. So I say reality checks out. Um, <laughs> and, and I hate to say it, but that's the pod. Thank you so much for listening. We have a new episode out every week, and remember to subscribe and rate. And we are brought to you by Campfire Media. And P.S. I love rom coms. I love rom coms. This is Patrick. And this is Mark, co-host of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we're your home for all things Nintendo. On Tuesday, we're talking about the latest Nintendo news. And on Thursday, we're doing deep dives into specific corners of the Nintendo universe. Ranking the Koopa Kids. Determining who the best Smash Fighter is. That's Nintendo Cartridge Society on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.